This is The Longest Shortest Time from WNYC. I'm Hillary Frank. This is a show where we talk about your struggles with your kids, your struggles with your parents, your struggles to even figure out whether you want kids and how you're going to have them. All that family stuff that keeps you up at night. Our last episode was my live interview in Oakland with Roman Mars, you know, the host from the fantastic podcast 99% Invisible. After the show, Roman and I stuck around to talk to the audience, and at the very end, this woman came up and introduced herself to me. Hi, I'm Sapna McCarthy. Sapna told me about something that had happened recently with her four-year-old daughter. I grabbed her nose, you know, you do with kids. I got your nose, I got your nose, and then I told her, I'm going to keep your nose, I'm going to put it on my face, and you can have my nose. And she was like, no, no, you can't, you can't do that. And I said, why not? And she said, because then if I have your nose, then I have to be big like you. And then you have my nose, you have to be small like me. And, and your nose is brown, so I'll have to be brown. And, and you'll have to be white. Sapna is Indian. Her husband is a pale white dude from England. This whole nose swapping thing got me thinking about how my daughter is mixed too, I'm a freckly redheaded Russian Jew. My husband's parents are from El Salvador and Mexico. I want my daughter to identify as a Latina Jew, and I want her to think of herself equally as both. But do I even have a say in that? Today on the show, we've got two stories. They're both about kids telling their moms they don't get what it means to be ethnically mixed. The first is from a mom's perspective. That's Sapna. The second is from the kid's point of view. Stay with us. Okay, so remember, when we left off with Sapna, her daughter Reina was schooling her on why swapping noses is dangerous. She was like, your nose is brown, so I'll have to be brown, and, and you'll have to be white. I asked her, I said, is that how it works? And she said, yeah, that's how noses work. <laughs> <laughs> And and it did it seem like that was a problem for her? Um, I like I think it was a little bit of a problem for her. I think she she didn't want to be brown. She didn't want to be me. And I think you know that's okay. She shouldn't want to be me. But is that that was the message I got? And, and did you talk about it at all? <laughs> I I tried, but then you know she's four. So <laughs> well, so but what did it mean to you? Like your interpretation, yeah, um, it was it was pretty shocking. I think my interpretation is that she's already getting the message that it's better to be white, and and it, it it's it kind of it hurts me because I remember being her age and and kids making fun of my skin color. Um, I grew up in New York, and, and when I was in preschool, I remember there were a couple little girls that used to call me poo-poo skin. Mm. And, and that was when I realized, when I was about three or four, that um, you know people liked white skin better. And, and I wonder, I was hoping that by now that message wouldn't still be out there, but clearly it kind of is. <laughs> and are you from India? No, um, I was born in the U.S. I'm I'm totally American. So are you are you first generation? Yeah, both my parents are from Bombay. What was the message you got from them growing up about skin color? That's interesting. So fairer is better. 
is the message I got from them. But then I also got the message that being Indian is something to be really proud of. So it was almost two conflicting messages. Hmm. How how was that expressed to you, both of those things? So don't go out in the sun, cover up. Oh, you got so dark. You know, like especially in the summertime when I'd be at the pool all day and I'd come home really bronzed. I'd get comments about my skin color and how, you know, if we saw another little girl or little boy and they were fair, the parents were always going on saying, oh, look how lovely and fair and beautiful this kid is. Um, and I was actually quite fair. So I often got that comment, especially in the wintertime, like, oh, look, you're so fair. It's so pretty. But then, you know, the other message um, that being Indian is something to be proud of you know, was expressed to me and like, look at our food. It's so healthy and it's so flavorful. And, and, you know, when you go to your friend's houses, their vegetables are boiled and no wonder their kids don't eat vegetables because they don't taste very good. Mm. You know, Indian people know how to make vegetables. Um, or, you know, look at your pretty clothes when we would dress up in, in traditional outfits and look how beautiful they are. And they're not so plain compared to your American clothes. And um, how have your parents reacted to your daughter being fair? Oh, they think she's gorgeous. Do they say things to you? They say things to each other. I think um, they've gotten better at reading my body language and my expression when they say things to me. And so they don't. But I often hear my mom talking to her friends or to to her husband. Um my father passed away, so she's remarried, and and they make comments on you know look how fair they are. They're so they're so white. Sapna has another daughter, a baby named Kareen. Um, we say Gori. Gori means fair and and white also. So I hear that word come up a lot when they're talking about my daughter. You know, ironically, she looks almost exactly like I did when I was her age. She's just a couple shades lighter. And so when we're out together, we both have the same head of crazy curly hair. We both have big brown eyes. Um, she has a mini version of my nose, although it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't look like my nose does now, but it looks like my nose did at her age. And she's skinny like I was. And um, when we go out together, some people notice all of that. They notice all the similarities. And other people are like, oh, are you the nanny? <laughs> like... Because I'm a couple shades darker than her. Wow. We had we had a whole show about that, about being mistaken <laughs> for the nanny. I know that's what that's what attracted me to your podcast to begin oh, with. Oh, that's funny. Um Yeah, you know, it's funny, like, um so my husband and I have, have different skin tones and my daughter's is somewhere in between. And she likes to hold her arm up in between ours and say that hers is a mix. Do, do you have any of that going on at home? Um, yeah, I do. Um, my daughter, she does the same thing. She'll often hold her arm up next to mine and say, Mommy, look, you're brown and I'm white. And then she'll hold her arm up next to my husband's and she'll say, Look, Daddy, you're pink. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> she, so she's like, she's like, I'm white. Yeah. <laughs> so she... 
Yeah, because my husband is really, really fair. And so she looks more kind of olive toned or Italian. Oh, that's so interesting. Um, and what is it? What does it mean to you that she identifies as white? It means I have some work to do. Um, and I'm not quite sure how to do it. I don't want to tell her who she is or put her in a box. At the same time, I want her to appreciate her heritage on both sides. And so my husband and I have often talked about, well, what's the right age to even start bringing it up? Yeah, it's like, I I think about it all the time, too, because um, especially when, so like when you're a person who's of mixed ethnicity, but you don't look necessarily like that ethnicity, um, how would you, how would that be expressed? Like, how would you express that as a person? Like, because I know that like my husband since he doesn't look Latino, when people find out that he is, usually their first reaction is, no, you're not, or you're <laughs> not really, like, you're not real. come on, you're not really Latino. And I think it's just because he's not dark and doesn't have a mustache or something, you know, <laughs> like, um, and then it becomes insulting because there are people telling you you're not what you are. <laughs> um, and I want her, like, I want my daughter to be able to be like, I'm a Latina Jew, and to like have a like just like know what that means. <laughs> I don't even know what it means, but when why is this even important to me? But um I don't know. It's just like a part of it's like it's like a big part of who you are, you know? And um I just wonder too, like for you, imagine, you know, like fifteen years down the line. How do you want her to identify ethnically when she grows up? I I don't mind. I don't I don't know that I want her to identify ethnically. Um I think growing up Indian in the US at first made me feel really different and kind of an outsider. It made it hard for me to feel like I could relate to other people. And then I swung completely the opposite way and I totally identified with Indians and was like president of various clubs and put on talent shows in college and, um, and you know, showed people Indian song and dance. And, and now it's just a culture that I really relate to and resonate with, but I, I don't, I'm really struggling actually. I'm really struggling with how do I, how do I help her with that? I don't know. Sapna thinks eventually she'll take her kids to visit England, where her husband is from, and to India, where her family is from. She'll cook Indian food with them. But other than that, she's not sure. So we want to know, what are your ideas? What do you do with your kids to help give them a sense of where they come from? Leave your thoughts at longestshortesttime.com in the comments for this episode. That's episode 59. Coming up, a kid who knows where she comes from, and she confronts her mom about it in song. Don't go away. Here at The Longest Shortest Time, we've got an app that makes it super easy for you to record audio for us to use in the show. Every other week, we post a new question for you to answer, and your answers have been great. 
Hi, this is Elizabeth from New Hampshire, and my kids have two moms, and um, we are sort of crunchy granola kind of mamas. And so neither of my sons are circumcised, and our whole family is vegetarian. And so one of my sons and my wife uh, were on a bike ride, and he sort of looked at her and said, I have a question, and she said, okay. And he asked if um, all vegetarians uh, had uncircumcised penises. My name is Sarah. I live in Coralville, Iowa. And I am originally from England. And this year when my son was learning about Thanksgiving at school, he comes home and asked me if I was a pilgrim. On questioning him further, he had misinterpreted that all people who come from England are obviously and move to America are pilgrims instead of this having happened many hundreds of years ago. I'm Becky. I'm from Sudbury, Massachusetts. And um, one day my son and I, he was about four at the time, were walking around Target. And um, he kept looking at the mannequins and none of them have heads, of course. So he looks at them and he says, I think those all used to be people who are now in heaven, and they just didn't need their heads, so they took their heads off. And I thought, oh wow, you thought Target was full of headless corpses. Uh, hi, my name is David, and I'm from Manhattan. When I was six years old, uh, I had a crush on this girl, and I thought it would be a great idea uh, in order to get closer to her, to tell her that I was a ghost. Uh, I got the idea from the movie Casper. And I told her that I had died and came back to Earth to seek a friend before I could cross over into the next life. And that I uh, wanted to be friends with her because of that. Uh, at that time, from watching a movie, I thought that's how you made friends. This is Eliza in Umeå, which is in northern Sweden. And my daughter Frida, who is two and a half and speaks Swinglish, a mix between Swedish and English at this point, doesn't understand that the sun is out all the time in the summer way up north here. Frida, is it time to go to sleep? Me, sun out. Sun out. Yeah, we don't sleep because the sun is out. But Frida, the sun is out all the time in the summertime. Yeah, you think it's funny? Hi, my name is Karen. I am in Portland, Oregon. And when I was a kid, I thought that your bosom was your butt. And so in church one day, when the pastor read a Bible verse that said something like, the shepherd will tend his flock and he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. I thought that that meant that God was holding the sheep in his butt. Thanks so much to everyone who called in. Those stories you just heard were answers to our last app question, when has your kid misinterpreted the way the world works? It's actually inspired by Sapna's nose-swapping story. Our new question is up right now, and we want you to go answer it. The question is, what do you remember about the day your sibling was born? Here's what I remember. Um, I remember climbing into my mom's hospital bed and eating up her entire lunch that had been delivered to her on a tray. And I remember the jello being like the best thing that I had ever tasted in my life. So we want to know your answers. What do you remember about the day your sibling was born? It's easy to send us your answer. Just go to the iTunes store, download the Longest Shortest Time app, and click Talk. The app also lets you listen to our entire show archive and find the help you need. 
And if you like the app, don't forget to write us a review so more people can find it. Thanks. We're back. So with the nose swapping thing, Sapna's daughter was basically saying, this is how the world works, mom. You know, that this is how skin color works. You just don't get it. So imagine if we could look into the future and, and talk to Sapna's little girl at age 30, and, and she could tell us exactly what she was thinking back when she was a kid. That would be amazing, right? Well, in our next story, we get to do that. Not literally with Sapna's daughter, of course, but with someone else who's ethnically mixed. My name is Kiria Traber, and I'm a theater artist in New York. Kiria's mom is white. Her dad's black. Her parents were really young when they had her, and her dad wasn't very involved. Kiria is close with him now, but back when she was little, he lived in Hawaii, so she didn't see him much. And um, my mom was a single mom, and I was an only child, and so one of the tricks that she came up with to keep me entertained was to give me a, a cassette tape recorder. Kiria's mom recently sent her the cassette that she used to record on. Um, so between the ages of four and six, Kiria recorded and re-recorded herself over and over again on this one 90-minute tape. I've actually got it right here in front of me. Um, there's a self-portrait on the back of the case, scribbled in pencil with um, big frizzy hair and hearts drawn all over the clothes. The spine says, Kiria knows it all. All is in all capital letters. Um, and then side one is labeled Kiria colon issues and answers, 88. And side two uh, says Kiria speaks out, 88. So on this tape, um, Kiria recorded all the typical things that kids record. So She'd start stories. The universe caught on fire, so then we could tell mother and daddy. And quickly end them. And then everybody was sad, and that's the end of the story. She'd get her mom to introduce her made-up talk show. And now it's Dr. Kiria Traber with Box Talk. Go ahead. No, I don't think I want to do this. And then one day, when Kiria was six years old, she got out the tape recorder and sat her mom down in the living room. You can kind of hear her in the background encouraging me to start. Go. Hey, Mama. Hey, Mama. It's a black thing. She won't understand because she ain't black. She's a white. She only knows the white thing. The white thing. I say, Mama. And um, I, 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 f I freestyled a rap about race to my mom. My mama say, you came out of my stomach, so I must know. I must know what the black thing is. And I say, no, Mama, you gotta listen to me. You, you know, I say, know it's a black thing. You know, only black people can understand. That's not my exact words, but that's my my meaning. And what was your understanding of it? Well, um, if you listen to this song, it seems like I have a, an understanding of it being cool, of it being um, valuable, of it being special. Because, Mama, it's a black thing. Hey, Mama, it's a black thing. 
thing. You gotta listen to me. She never will listen. Don't plug your ears. Don't cover your eyes. Hey, mama. Hey, baba. It's a black thing. Hey, mama. Hey, mama. It's a black thing. It's also directed at your mom. Did, did, you, did it feel aggressive at the time? I wouldn't say aggressive. Um, I would say proud. I would say um, I mean, maybe defiant, but um, I wasn't yelling. You know, I was asserting myself. And so I guess that's, that's kind of what I mean about blackness. If, if nothing else, I think I understood it as individual. Like this is, you know, all, that's all our journey as children, right, is to separate ourselves from our parents and find our own individuality. And I guess mine started with being black. Why did you feel the need to sing that to her? Well, I remember at the time um, I was in elementary school and, um, you know, this is like the late 80s, early 90s in Berkeley, California. Race and being positive about diversity is certainly part of the culture. So at my school, I know there was white kids, black kids and mixed kids. And I had a, f- a couple of friends that were also mixed, like me. And we called ourselves that. And we, were, and we would talk about it a lot um, at five or six. You know, we're mixed, we're mixed. And so I guess I, I, that's the thing is that I'm surprised to hear myself saying it's a black thing, not it's a mixed thing. I was so generally in my memory so proudly mixed. Did you, did you identify as more black than white? It's a really complicated question. <laughs> um, yeah. And it changed, you know, it's it's changed a lot in my life. Um, yeah, and so, like, your blackness came from your dad who wasn't in your life. Right. And, and your mom was. Right. Um, but you look different from her. Yeah. And so so tell me about how your, ident- your ethnic identity has changed over time. Yeah. Well, um, you know, early on... I definitely knew that I was different than the majority of people. And definitely from the black girls, they had these beautiful braids that their parents did. And um, they were always really perfectly kept. And they had a lot of my beads in their braids. My mom didn't know how to do that. And my hair was actually often really really messy. And and then, so there's this one particular thing that happened in in my um, preschool uh, days that I remember, um, another mother came to pick up her daughter, and we were not friends. My this this daughter, um, so I didn't know this girl well or her mother. The mom told me to come over to her, and she undid the braids that my mom had done in my hair and redid them. She greased them up with coconut oil and retwisted my hair, and and then left. Um, from my memory. She didn't stay to talk to my mom and say, this is what I did or this is why I did it. But then my mom was upset after and I was, I think I felt ashamed. I was like I had done something wrong. But um, I talked to my mom actually and she said something that blew my mind. Um, She also was getting a lot of comments from adults um, and especially black women, 
she understood that they were trying to help, that that actually she felt like there was a community of people who were raising Black children and that she was a part of that and she had support. Hmm. And the conversation, she said, felt productive, even if they were sometimes had some judgment in them. Um, and then I moved away around the age of seven. We moved to a town in Northern California and I was the only Black kid and... I felt really different, and but I was like, well, I'm, I don't, ha- I don't have a dad, so I'm, I, I'm not black like my dad. I'm, I'm like my mom. I'm, and I, I couldn't say I was white because my skin is brown and my hair is different, but I, I definitely wasn't black um, at that point in my life, to myself. Kyria says she'd watch TV specials about Halle Berry and Alicia Keys because they also had black fathers and white mothers. But they made her mad because they identified as black with mixed heritage. Kyria wanted them to identify as mixed, like her. Even being mixed was hard where she lived. So I was in middle school and a new girl came into the class. And um, she had never really... I don't think, talk to a black person, um, but she had heard her family talking about them in very disparaging ways, um, very racist ways. So she was sitting next to me in band class. And I remember she looked at me and she got so flushed. She was blushing so bright red. And we introduced ourselves and she said, "Um, do you have any black in you? And I like, I laughed. I was like, yeah. (laughs) And she said, oh, and she said, my dad's a racist, but I would never let him be racist to you, though. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't know what to say. I think I said, thanks. <laughs> and actually, we, we ended up becoming best friends. Um, and her parents ended up really being very kind to me. Um, but I always knew secretly. We never talked about it. Um, but I always knew wow, secretly. you knew he was secretly a racist. Yeah. Mm. Um, but she and I, um, like I said, we became best friends. And so we had a lot of learning together. Um, you know, she asked me some questions that were pretty offensive if, you know, you think about it now, but we were kids. And so I, instead of taking offense, I answered them. And, um, there was something else actually, it's not immediately related, but I I think it's really, um, interesting you know, you asked me about whether or not I identified you know, more as black or as white or mixed and, and how complicated that was by my dad not being present. Um, my grandfather was present um, at an early age. I remember him. Um, your, your dad's dad? My dad's dad, yeah, um, hmm. who is black. And, and he, was, um, he was a complicated man. He actually lived on the street. Um, so he didn't have a home. Um, but he would come by our house, my mother and I, when I was little, uh, sometimes to wash up. or um, And we would go see him where he hung out on the street. So I had a relationship with him, and he was a very, he wasn't, um, he was kind of withdrawn, and he was very formidable. He was very um, tall and, 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 and had a, like a, a protective kind of defense around him all the time. But I knew somehow, I knew, I was like, this person is important and they care about me and and his name was Benjamin and I was like he's he's a Benjamin I have a Benjamin I don't know what a Benjamin is but I have one 
And he didn't look like me, just like my mom didn't look like me. But I think it's probably safe to say that my understanding of blackness started with him. Was there a part of you that you felt like your mom did get? Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think other than my black identity, there was a sense that, and I, because I feel this way now, that that my mom is the person I can go to to say, oh, can you believe this happened? Or like, you know what I mean? And she's the one, no matter what, who's going to be like, yeah, totally. But then there's this this thing, this this giant thing that that does make me really different. And does she get it? Like, if you need to talk to her about, um, like, race stuff um, in your life, does she get that? Yeah, she does. She does. And and um not without, you know, some work as I as I, you know, in my adulthood came to understand my identity in much more nuanced ways, then I had to share that with her if I wanted her to understand and and she was very open to it. Um and you know, we've had a lot of um moments when our country is having racial conflicts and I get to talk about it with my mom. Um in a way, I guess it can be really cathartic, you know, because being Black in America can be really painful and there's a lot of distance and a lot of difference and a lot of feeling misunderstood. And so to be able to talk to a a, a person who identifies as white and say, can I explain this thing to you from my perspective and have them go, yeah, I'm totally listening. And then ultimately understand as best they can. It feels really good. It gives me a lot of hope. Being mixed, I think, is much more common now. Mm-hmm. Or I don't know if it's more. Is it more common? I don't know if it's more common, but it's yeah. maybe I'm. I live in it. I live in an area where it's very common. Um, and my daughter appears white. Uh, every, everyone assumes she is, but really she's this like Latina Jew, mm-hmm. and. <laughs> Um, I want her to identify as as everything that she is. Right. And I just I wonder if you have suggestions for me. Yeah. Do you and in your husband talk about um racial identity or cultural identity in the house? Yeah, a little bit because, you know, so she will say to me, there will be people with the same name uh-huh. and she'll say to me, you know, that's um, you know, that's that's Sarah with the brown skin. Uh-huh. So we'll talk a little bit about, you know, um, how people, different people have different colors of skin. And she learned all about Martin Luther King this year and was really horrified by the story. Um, yeah. and Of his death. Yes. and But also she was just like, he was the best. He, you know, I wouldn't be in school yeah. with my friends if it wasn't for him. And then he was shot with a gun for his good ideas and like she's really like she's really like dealing with all of that um yeah i think that's great i think it's also you know obviously important to be aware of the the celebratory things as well as the tragic history (laughs) my uncle did something for me at some point um my, my mom's brother so he's he's white um but he made a a cork board wall in my room not not the whole wall but like just a you know he took part of the wall it was actually on my door and he made a cork board and he covered it with images of black women mm. and some of them were art 
paintings. Some of them were photographs of famous people, like maybe like Billie Holiday or something. And it was just always there. And it was awesome. And it was something I could always look at. And it wasn't anybody I knew, but it was references for... I know that I looked at those pictures, like if I thought about, what will I look like when I grow up? Because I wasn't going to look like my mom. And I think it could have been a source for questions. Like like I said, some of them were art, so they had other references to them that were interesting, like maybe a religious ceremony or or something I could ask questions about. Um, I love that. Yeah. I, me too. <laughs> oh, wow, you're giving, you're giving me ideas. Good. Kyria Traber is a writer, performer, and cultural educator in New York. Find her at kyriatraber.com. That's K-I-R-Y-A-T-R-A-B-E-R. Kyria and Sapna's stories are only two stories of people struggling with cultural identity. We want to know how you figured out your cultural identity. How have you helped your kids with theirs? How have you explained your own identities to your parents if you look different from them? What books or websites or experts or experiences have helped you puzzle through skin color and race and ethnicity or, or just made you feel less alone? There's so much to unpack here. So please help our listeners work through this stuff together. Help me. Clearly, I need help, too. I mean, I, I'm totally making one of those cork boards, but, but I want to hear more ideas. Go to LongestShortestTime.com and leave your comment on this episode. That's episode 59. We're going to be looking through your answers and we'll post our favorites to Facebook and Twitter and, and maybe we'll make some more blog posts about this. This is such an important topic and it's going to be an exciting two weeks hearing what you all have to say about it. This podcast is a production of The Longest Shortest Time and WNYC. The show is produced by me, Hillary Frank, and Joanna Solitaroff with help from Lily Sullivan. Bill Moss mixed the show. Our theme music is by the Batteries Duo. Special thanks to Paula Schumann, Peter Clowney, Irene Trudell, and to the great folks over at Montclair State University who let me come record at their studio when the lawnmowers are too loud outside my window. I'll be back with a new episode in two weeks at three o'clock in the morning. We are here to keep you company in those wee hours. But if you're not up then, don't worry. You can get the podcast at a reasonable time just subscribe to our newsletter. Go to our website, enter your email in the little box there on the homepage, and I'll send you a secret link six hours earlier than the show gets posted. And while you're there at our website, click on that green box that subscribes you to our app. Remember, we're taking questions right now on what you remember about the day your sibling was born. Go do it right now before you forget. And here at The Longest Shortest Time, many of our favorite stories come from you, our listeners, like Sapna and Kiria. If you want to be like them and tell your story on this podcast, pitch us. It can be anything about your relationship with your kids or your relationship with your parents. We love to hear things we've never heard before. So surprise us. Go to LongestShortestTime.com and submit your story. the story. And you're supposed to clap. Oh, yay!